Welcome to Politics That Right. My name is Egberto Willis, your host at KPFT. As usual, we are going to have a great show for you guys today. We have some special guests in this in the studio. But before, folks, title of the show, We Made Sanctuary Cities Necessary. Good inflation news. Medicare Advantage scandals persist. American policy partially res- is partially responsible for the northward movement and sanctuary cities. Medicaid Advantage continues to do that pilfering that we've been talking about for a long time. Well, it gets worse, folks. It gets worse. And of course, the inflation rate is down. It's really, if we count month to month at 1.2%, of course, the ads out there says 7.1% from last year. Of course, that's not the way it's done. Anyhow, folks, our three stories today may seem disjointed, but they all have a common thread. Corporate supremacy. While we have many who continually speak about an overbearing government, the real Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The problem is a corporatocracy that purchases enough politicians in our government to get their will. They ensure that all costs they are given, at all costs, they are given carte blanche for unfettered profits worldwide. The ebb and flow of the migration of bodies from Central America, South America, and beyond have its genesis and policies we ultimately create that benefit U.S. corporations. A case in point was the CIA-induced overthrow of Guatemala's first democratically elected president, Jacobo uh, Arvenz Guzman, in late June 1954. He established policies that would redistribute unused land in the country. When the powerful American-owned United Fruit Company lost many acres of land, the CIA came to the rescue. The country has never recovered. The United States spent Billions of dollars in El Salvador to prop up the right-wing oligarchs and generals that rule the country. They wanted no part in improving the lives of the peasants, those who really need the average Salvadorian. The wealthy in the country owns most of the land, including the best lands to grow coffee and important export. Well, we have two great people in studio today with us. We have... uh, Maria Vilma Duran, who is the producer of uh, Little Central American 1984, as well as Ruben Martinez, who is in from Los Angeles and the son and grandson of immigrants from Mexico and El Salvador. He is a writer, performer, and teacher. He is the author of Desert America, A Journey Across our most land, our divided landscape and crossing over a Mexican family on the migrant trail and other titles. Welcome aboard Politics and Right. How are you guys doing today? Great. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. Well, of course. I mean, uh, when I heard about you from, you know, Stuart, uh, our, one of our uh, electric, I mean, our, our board operators in there, he really came and he saw the play and he said, you know, uh, Egberto, you should really check these guys out because this was boss. That's what he said. This was boss. So I tell you what, as a local producer here, um, Maria, why don't you tell me a little bit about 
uh, Little Central America in 1984, the genesis, how it came about? Well, I mean, I, I've really come into the I've really come into the process. Uh, I think after the genesis, so um, Ruben would definitely be the one to talk about that. But I mean, you know, my experience has been amazing mm-hmm. being able to be part of this project, and you know, really being able to highlight um, our community, our Central American community, which is which is big, which is thriving, you know, here in Houston. But Ruben, you know, I, I think he would definitely be the one to to talk about. Well, that. Dude, she pa- she passed the baton, Ruben. She Pass the baton. And, and we'll go back and forth. Uh, thank you for having us. Uh, I, I really liked your analysis at the top of the show about the global uh, situation and the ebb and flow of migration. Uh, and, uh, I, everybody in this room, right? Or immigrants. Yes. And, and, I, I, and at this table, we're, we're all from Central, Central America. America. Panama, Salvador, Salvador. That's Here right. we go. Que viva Centroamérica. Viva Centroamérica. Sí. And uh, being Central American, being the son of a Salvadoran psychologist and poet, Vilma Angulo, rest in peace, my mom, uh, I've always been aware of how our community is relatively invisible compared to other Latin American, Mexico, yes. of course, and I'm half Mexican, yes. so I can't like say you can't You can't hit it too hard Mexico, <laughs> You know? But, um, you know, if we, if we, the Mexican hegemony, if we can call it that, right. you know, overshadows our community a lot. And um, I had the great pleasure of being in Houston and teaching at the University of Houston for several years in the early 2000s and got to know the community a little bit at that point. And coming back with this project, Little Central America 1984 is a tour of a few cities in the United States that have big Central American populations, the Bay Area of California, uh, Washington, D.C., and here in Houston. And uh, we are recreating through poetry and music, live music and uh, theater, um, a moment in our history. We say 1984, Little Central America 1984 mm-hmm. is, the, is the title. 1984, because that's when our community was really right. starting to come together. Right. The numbers of people that had arrived and the community establishing itself through social service agencies for the refugees at that time and, get, and finding its political voice here. Right. Through solidarity with the, the, the struggle for uh, justice and liberation in Central America at that time, but also establishing its own presence and seeking justice uh, here with all the problems we have in American cities, right? And discrimination and policing and all those things. So a, a generation later, we have a new wave of refugees that have arrived, a uh, new set of challenges. But we're looking back to 1984 at all the things that our community got right. You know, all the solidarity that was expressed back then through the sanctuary movement, the churches who opened their doors to the refugees, and all the people who had organizing experience from their home countries of Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras, um, who were expelled from the country because of their organizing right. down there. Well, they come up here with a lot of organizing skills. Right. And so we have social service agencies like the Central American Resource Center, Crescen, that, whose roots are back in the 1980s. So we're looking back to look forward is basically the idea. Now, this is an artistic presentation, however. I I haven't had the honor to see it yet. This is an artistic presentation. In the art that you're bringing out, are you also exposing the political parts of it? Or is it mostly just the goody feely thingy <laughs> we definitely want good feelings and that comes through the experience of music that i mean we have a cumbia right. you know going on yes. a little dancing got, and and maria vilma is reading poetry uh-huh. along with you know i just wanted to you know throw it to maria vilma for, for a second here because uh we're coming we're doing a national tour right but here in houston 
all our partners are the local community. Right. So, Maria Villamarie, you can talk about the Central American Collective and all the people who are involved in the production through the Central American Collective. Yeah, no, uh, you know, one of the great things about this production has mm -hmm. been being able to include our community members and also um, giving, making sure that we're all included. So right. we have, um, for example, Susana uh, Oshlat, who um, she uh, is the leader of Chapines de Corazon, mm -hmm. um, a Guatemalan um, group, yeah. group. We have a local poet, Alba Herrera, mm -hmm. um, Elmer Romero, who's with uh, Crescent. Um, and so it's just, it's beautiful to you know be able to to bring everybody together to be part of this you know to be a voice right. um, you know and then I'm I'm part of it as well I, I wasn't expecting that piece but I, I'm, I'm oh, very you didn't happy expect, you didn't expect that you were going to be doing your own poetry or I, you know I, I was more behind the scenes and uh -huh. then was brought into the scene, so... <laughs> what, did Ruben do that to you, or...? <laughs> Ruben and Elia. <laughs> yeah, our, our director, Elia Arsed, my co-writer, she's not here this morning, she couldn't be here, but uh, her her practice mm -hmm. as a theater artist is very community-based. Mm -hmm. She comes out of the radical theater of the 1960s. Explain that. Explain that. Radical theater, like uh, the Bread and Puppet Theater, for mm -hmm. example, uh, back east, and the Living Theater in Washington, D.C., and uh, uh, the Mime Troupe in San Francisco. The roots of radical theater go further back, but basically, you know, breaking through the fourth wall, mm -hmm. involving the community. Here, we have a, a beautiful Salvadoran family, the Benitez family, uh, a father and his four daughters mm -hmm. are playing a key role uh, in acting moments, milestone moments in any family's history, but that are very poignant specifically for immigrant families, mm -hmm. right? And we're, look, we're also telling the story of the families that didn't get a chance to celebrate those milestones. For example, Oscar Alberto Martinez and his daughter Valeria, mm -hmm. who died drowned in the Rio Grande mm -hmm. in 2019. That's the one with the little girl, yeah. Yes, I think we all remember yes. that we have that image in our heads. I mean, never goes her down right there uh, on the banks. That yes. was sad. Yeah. Yes. So we remember those who were lost mm -hmm. on the journey mm -hmm. and celebrate those who have made it. Mm -hmm. You asked about the politics. Right. I mean, uh, we tell, we definitely tell the story of what happened that gave rise to the civil wars in the 1980s. Mm -hmm. It drives me crazy that people of our generation, mm -hmm. you know, um, uh, know this story intimately, right? But the young people, you know, do not yeah. re really remember. You yeah. know, I mean, you know, I I came here when I was five years old, mm -hmm. and so um, I I don't, you don't remember. Even remember Salvador. Uh, luckily, I was able to go back and and um, you know every other summer and and spend time over there with my family, mm -hmm. but I I don't know all those other pieces. Right. You know, I wasn't aware of it, and then even the the much younger generations, right. they are completely. They have absolutely no idea. <laughs> you, you know what is amazing? That this is just a, a quick segue here. Um, I remember in nineteen, I think it was nineteen eighty-eight, right before the invasion of Panama, oh, we were flying into Panama, but we took Taca, and you know Taca is centralized oh, yeah. in El Salvador. So we were flying into Taca, and we and the, the, at that time the airport was surrounded by all the metralladoras and oh. all the guns and so forth. And you know, my my wife is looking down and she's like. Uh, what what's all of that? And I'm like, well, you know, there's sort of a, like a war that we're that that's yeah. in El Salvador, yeah. and we walked out of the airplane, 
And the military had a whole bunch of folks running down with grenades and, and things on, on her. My, she got off the plane to go to the bathroom. She ran back onto the plane. She <laughs> so, I mean, I bring that up for a special reason. I bring that up for a special reason. When you're insulated here, including the kids mm -hmm. that are here now, even whether they're the kids of immigrants or whatever, they don't understand mm -hmm. the kinds of things that we've lived through being a part of a Central America, South America, or places where invasions have occurred, where all these sort of issues that then lend itself to create these communities, the sanctuary cities, etc., that yep. you're talking about. Yes, you encapsulated it beautifully there. And ultimately, I think what we're pointing to here is that there is the origin point of our story, which is mm -hmm. tragic. Right. Uh, U.S. intervention, uh, U.S. Ex capitalist exploitation in the region going back over a century, mm -hmm. right? The uh, Monroe Doctrine. Monroe the, Doctrine, the, yeah. All that Carry stuff. Carry a big stick, yeah. And uh, and then getting uglier and uglier across time so that in the 1970s, uh, the uh, uh, Plan Condor, uh, the CIA involvement in, in South America and Argentina and the mm -hmm. Dirty War in Chile, the mm -hmm. overthrow of Allende. So, so all those are, that, that origin point is dark. It's tragic, and there's a lot of people to remember, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Who are disappeared, and we need their faces. We need their stories. We need their names. So, right? Yeah. I, I, I want to because there's something that I didn't do that I should have done, and, and right. say you're still present. This is still active here in Houston. Your play. Oh I yeah. Mean, so tell people how they can actually be a part of this and, uh, you know, to see these presentations. Yeah. I mean, we invite everybody to visit diverseworks.org and, um, and come out and join us this Saturday um, at 7 p.m. and also Sunday at 1.30 at the First uh, um, Unitarian Universalist Church in the Museum District mm -hmm. um, because it... It is a very powerful show. Mm -hmm. It is a very powerful show. And we need to make sure that not only is our community um, coming out, but we're bringing friends. Right. You know, and allies. that we're bringing, we're <laughs> bringing um, allies. We're bringing our youngsters. You know, we're bringing our abuelitas because we all need to be a part of it. And I think that one of the really important things is that afterwards mm -hmm. that we start having a dialogue within our families and we start, you know, being able to really share that and especially with our kids. And Who's I have supposed to. to have that dialogue. Are you talking about immigrant families? Or are you talking about Houston? At, in this case, since we're in Houston, okay. Houston at large. I think all of us need to have that right. dialogue. I, I, the, the reason I, I, I ask that is because, you know, uh, you know, when when we have the discussions about sanctuary cities, when we have the discussion about immigrant families, what you know, it always comes across as something like uh, we are there to just give a handout to these folks. Uh -huh. We're there to it's always a negative as opposed yep. to seeing it in, uh, in there are two ways that one must see this, in my opinion. One, there is an immigration issue of people coming over, which needs a san sanctuaries because of policies that we've had that created those realities. Okay. And numero dos is that the interesting thing is that the immigrants that had the wherewithal to make it over here, right, to get over here, 
and I, I, I'm not saying this for a pat on the back, but generally are the ones who were able to do so, the stronger ones who are able to leave, which means when they come to a country like this, they overperform. And I think that is what you actually see. No matter what you're doing, if you're, if you're picking grapes or if you're an engineer, sure. you're overperforming because of who you are and what you went through. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, th I think, yes, you definitely. And, and I think the one thing that I am always advocating for is the fact that they're also giving back, right. you know, and they're working with their communities in their places of origin in order to empower them as well. Because, you know, and I can say that from personal experience, mm -hmm. some of the work that I do in, in El Salvador, but also friends, mm -hmm. you know, who they, you, they create um, organizations. They're, you know, going and um, making sure that there's like the most basic um, things in, in those aldeas, in those mm -hmm. um, uh, caserios, so that people don't have to make the journey, right. you know, or even getting even more political um, and, and really, you know, um, being activists for their communities and making sure that, you know, policies, um, that the correct policies for their communities are the ones that start getting in, in place. And so there's, um, I think that, yes, you know, there, there's that moment of, you know, we, we provide sanctuary, we provide these services, but then yes, there's definitely a huge return on that. There's mm -hmm. a huge return. And that's the part that we continue to overlook the part that we continue to not talk about the one that we continue to not highlight. And it's important for us to do that, you know, because again, going back and looking at our younger generations, now we see, um, you know, second generations, third generations who are doctors, mm -hmm. who, you know, are, are in places of privilege and power, and they need to understand this genesis in order for them to also understand the privilege that they have and ensure that they are using it correctly for our communities. That is so important for several reasons, because I mean, uh, you know, we have a tendency in the United States to be a very insulated community, to have insulated communities. And when you move up in stature or class or whatever, we're taught to pretty much forget about where we've come from. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, I'm not only talking about, let's say, from the immigrant community, I'm talking for, about the American community at large. If you take a look at the class separation, it's like you made the jump ship, you are invited into the other class, mm -hmm. and suddenly the, the things that you support, the policies that you support, the types of taxation, etc., no longer interested in yeah. it, right? Because I've made it. I got mine. You get yours, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. And, that, and that's something I think that plays out in immigrant communities in a very particular right. way. Because we come from caste societies mm, right. already, yes. right? With very hardened yes. you know, class structures. So when we come over here, I'm just thinking of my grandfather. My grandfather kind of made it in this country, got, mm -hmm. became a homeowner. I'm talking about the Mexican side of my family. Mm -hmm. And he would talk about the recently arrived immigrants. He would look down on them. Right. Say, they're chusma. Yeah. Which is like a hayseed or, you know, yes. low, low, low class, you know, because I'm, that's that very phenomenon that I've made it, which is, it drives against solidarity, mm -hmm. against, you know, recognizing that we're all kind of like victims in this structured system that does not allow for mobility and equal justice and opportunity and et cetera, et cetera. And of course, ultimately, that's what the, the struggles for liberation in, in the global South have all been about. So when, once you cross the border, ideology becomes particularly powerful. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I think is uh, we have, uh, every time there's a crisis point, point, like in the 80s and today, 
um, there is another opportunity to chip away at those structures, mm-hmm. ideological structures that, that prevent us from enacting solidarity. This is a moment that is calling upon people, all people of good faith to uh, recognize that we're in this together. The pandemic was the biggest call of all globally mm-hmm. to say, hey, we're in this together. Mm-hmm. It also highlighted the deepest ideological divide, you know, the starkest right. ideological divide mm-hmm. that keeps us from enacting solidarity. But I'm hopeful because in the end, when we talk about Little Central America 1984, the production, and thinking about that moment and where we are today, can we say the glass is half empty or half full? I can say half full because the airport in San Salvador today is named Oscar Romero Airport. Wow, okay. You know, Oscar Romero today is a saint. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, in 1980, there are people, you know, that uh, a lot of people in El Salvador on the right wing, you know, supported the fact that he had been killed. Right. I heard people say this. Right. And today right. he's a saint, right? Our community has not only survived, as Maria Vilma said, it has thrived. And there are 250,000 Central Americans living in the Houston, the greater Houston Is it Houston that Arizona. many? Oh, wow. A it's, it's actually more. You know, that that's what, that's what the census tells tells us but if we really start going into the communities we know that there's more wow that's how big you, it is you know it's interesting that when, when you when you made mention about that issue with um uh the, the caste system or whatever it's funny because a guy that does some work for me um he's from mexico and uh, i told you know when he found out that i'm a full-time activist and do all this kind of work and and, and so forth uh and he he said you know something um uh w- w- why do you bother and then I said, um, what do you mean by why do you bother? He said, um, well, you know, uh, I'm going to tell you something. And he's not, he said, he, he gave me some info about his status. I won't mention it here, but he gave me some info about his status. And then he said, and you would not imagine the people that I have the hardest time with are my own yeah. people, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. uh, de Guanajuato. Uh-huh. Okay. Right. So, I mean, um, that that moved over here and made it right and and he said the folks that pay me the least the (laughs) folks that do and you know and he was saying i and i what what we kept on talking about and i was like well you can actually be that template you can actually do the teaching i mean i imagine you will have a lot of sub i want to back step a minute how do you come to a town a city like houston and within what you've written, incorporate local artists and make it flow in such a manner that it looks like a seamless production. Yes. So uh, the the writing is first person. Elia Arce, our director and co-writer, and I Mm -hmm. are from that generation, from the 1980s generation. We lived the conflict very closely. And um, so are recalling that moment. So there's this general historical cultural background Mm -hmm. because we recreate the moment culturally through music and poetry. And the music is the the best of Latin American 1980s new song, what they call the new song movement, Mm -hmm. which was a great aesthetic innovation, beautiful, beautiful compositions that had deep social historical, political content at the same time. Great poetry telling a big political story. Right. So that's part of this. So that's kind of like the overarching, you know, uh, container of the show, but within which community voices can flow through. Uh, Maria Vilma's uh, cohort from the Central American Collective, women are declaiming, the clamadores, we call them in Spanish, Mm -hmm. declaiming, you know, poetry 
of several wonderful Central American poets and this and the family that I mentioned earlier, the Benitez family, uh, are, are acting out these key roles. So there's this there's this overarching structure, but there's this all this space that that uh, that the, we we invited the community. Well, the, the community invited us in. Right. And now we're in the community and, and creating this. Like how you together. trick Vilma into becoming a, exactly. an active life poet, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> and That's she right. did it. No, and I'm she, doing it. And she's doing it. I, I should say that she's doing it. You know, and, and actually, you know, I, I really enjoy that. You know, it's like when, when people, uh, there would be people who say, I would like to talk about, I'd like you to talk about something like this on the radio. And I would tell them, okay, good. Come on in, talk about it. I said, no, I meant you talk about it. I said, why me? I mean, yeah. you, you come in and you talk about it. Yeah. And, you know, that, that the, the people appreciate that more so. Even the listeners that are out there, like I can imagine those that are listening, uh, the, the, whichever part of the immigrant community listening to, whether it's been uh, from Central America, Latin America or elsewhere are saying, wow, we have a voice, eh? We got a voice. Yes. You know, and and the voice is our community in relationship with allies, right? Because right. We, our our community could not make it alone back then. No not, community we're not, can. We're not, we're not total victims either. Right. We don't need handouts. Right. But we need collaborators and allies. Right. And a generation later, we're recalling well, the reason we're at the Unitarian Universalist Church on Fannin mm-hmm. is because that was a sanctuary. Right. In the 1980s. Right. Yeah. Refugees slept on the altar in there, and and one of the people who's going to be part of the production slept on the, the, the altar with them. At, at the university. And you know what? Yes. The one in, in, uh, in, in the Woodlands as well, they were a sanctuary church uh, in, that's further north, northeast Houston. Yeah. They were a sanctuary mm-hmm. church, and I think they had a family that they brought in during, you know, with, with all of this happening. So it's important. But I, I, what, I, what I like about what, what both of you promote here is that this isn't about victimhood. This is about collaboration. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and again, there is no, uh, and, and, you know, when, I remember when I came here, right, and whenever I, I was always political and I get political and people say, you damn import, you don't be telling me this, you come into my country. And I, I would stop them right there and say, first of all, I feel the same rights to this country, mm-hmm. no less, no more than you. The only person that I will bow myself to of being in this country or the indigenous that's been here for tens of thousands of years so therefore as far as i am i am my feet are planted here in the united states your feet your feet's planted your feet's planted we are 100 percent parts of it from the day we stepped on it irrespective of how we stepped on it and i i think all immigrants must have that because we should never ever allow anyone to think they have better buy into this country mm-hmm. than we do your thoughts absolutely i mean uh i do <laughs> i call myself a mexican salvadoran american right right uh i claim these identities mm-hmm. in the big american sense right when we say america we have Latin America, we have Central, we have South, yeah. Central and North America. Right. It's a big two continents that come right. together in Panama, right? Right. And, uh, and uh, our great leader, uh, Simón Bolívar. Simón, right? el, la Revolución Boliviano. Right. El, el Libertador uh-huh. wanted to have us all together. Right. Right. 
And the idea was he could see, even back then, uh, how the United States was becoming a dominant force. Right. And he thought the only way to balance that that uh, hegemony was for Latin America to become united. Right. We're still working on that today. I, 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 want, I want to tell you <laughs> yeah. something, dear, because I brought this up in several programs. Uh, and starting with Venezuela, a lot of people love to hate on Hugo Chavez. And yeah. uh, I'm not going to, we won't get into the political of Hugo Chavez, but I'm going to say the theory of Hugo Chavez and the Bolivian. Bolivarian Revolution and yeah. having having a pole in the South, yeah. meaning Brazil, Argentina, Peru, Ecuador, yeah. Yeah. on a on a single monetary currency and these other issues. There was some merits to that, yeah. right? And you don't have to like uh, these people to understand that there's some merits to having central. I mean, a, a not having one dominant factor in any particular hemisphere. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah. Yes, and that's true uh, geopolitically, and it's true in a city yes. like Houston, which is a microcosm of the world, of the region. Yes. And the Central American voice is emerging, and people like, like in the Central American Collective, you guys have done stuff with the Holocaust Museum, right? Other big institutions now, so the voice is emerging and balancing out the power relationship. And it's important. Yeah. Go ahead. Did you want to add? Yeah, no, I, it, it is very important. It is very important to continue to empower our communities. I mean, that that's really what it comes down to, right? Um, being able to ensure that all the voices are heard. And then from a geopolitical system that, yes, that there is more of a balance. And ironically, more of a balance is better for it the individuals of every of everybody in other words if you have you you lose you lose it when there's not pulls and pushes you have to have different poles so that we can come to the best solutions right no doubt and i think we have lessons little central america 1984 recalling that moment Ultimately, out of that Cold War context, you know, the solidarity movement with Central America, against American intervention in Central America, we changed U.S. policy. Absolutely. The United States did not get its objectives from the Reagan-Bush era in Central America. We pushed back so hard Mm -hmm. here and in Central America that the course of history changed. So talk about balancing, you know. Yeah, and I and I think that that's something that's starting to happen now, yeah. you know. And I, and I'm seeing it right now here in Houston uh, with everything that's going on, um, with all of these Central American voices just ri- rising. Mm-hmm. Uh, where, you know, um, before you you everything everything that you heard about Central America was always the negative right. was everything, and now we're starting to see to really um, see that okay these are some of the leaders in these different spaces mm-hmm. these are some of the creatives in these different spaces um, you know our I I speak with a lot of educators Mm -hmm. um, who continuously ask me for more support, uh, you know, through Central Mm -hmm. American Collective, which is uh, the organization that I founded, Mm -hmm. where we're uh, teaching about Central America through art and culture. And, you know, they continue to ask for more support because they're seeing that in their classrooms, what used to be a very Mexican, um, heavy Latin American representation is now you know, changing. I am so glad to hear something like that because, again, there there are different cultures. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the 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 Latin American, rather, the Central American culture has a a, a very strong Caribbean pull. <laughs> uh, you know, so I mean, it is great to see that you have all of that. Um, let's see. 
Anyway, folks, don't forget you're listening to Politics on Right on KPFT 90.1 FM Houston. Thank you guys so kindly for being here. We have board the boards. Rico is on the boards and the phones. Stuart's on the phones. Anyhow, uh, to close us out, yeah. let's go ahead and uh, why don't you... Uh, I tell you what, let's start with Maria. Maria, ladies, although, um, you know, I, I always worry about this because... If you say ladies first, we get into, well, then are you a sexist or not? Or is this culture or not? I don't know. But we're going to go Please. ahead and say Maria first. Well, you know, we really want to invite everybody to come out and support this show. It is so important for our community. We need to, you know, we always say that um, we have to spend our money and spend our energy with uh, within our community in order mm-hmm. to continue for it to continue to uh, grow. This is an opportunity for right. that, right? So we want to invite everybody out this weekend, um, Saturday at seven and Sunday at one thirty at the First Unitarian Universalist Church. Um, of Houston in the museum district and you can get um, tickets and information at diverseworks.org D-I-V-E-R-S-E-W-O-R-K-S dot O-R-G Thank you very much Maria Ruben Estoy muy emocionado de estar aquí en Houston. Thank you so much for the invitation to talk about Little Central America. It's poetry, it's music, it's remembering what we need to remember to be able to walk into a better future together. Well, look, María, muchísimas gracias por estar aquí. Y también, Rubén, muchas gracias por estar aquí también. It was a great, I mean, I enjoyed the conversation. And and more, most importantly, I'm glad that you're centralizing not on one country, but on the, the entire Latin American, Central American experience. Thank you so kindly for being here. Muchísimas gracias por estar aquí. A usted. Okay, hermano. All right, folks, we're continuing the program. We have some inflation to talk about, and we have some Medicare Advantage to talk about as well, folks. Uh, Eric Hayes is in the chat. Well, thank you for being here, Eric. And uh, folks, we have all telephone. Muchas gracias. All lines are open, 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. Anyway, folks, uh, give us a call. We would love to hear from you right now. Not necessarily on uh, on any subject of your choice. But anyhow, our essay of the day, like I said, the title of the show was We Made Sanctuary Cities Necessary, Good Inflation News and Medicare Advantage Scandals. We've done the first one where you had uh, both Ruben and Maria discussing that great topic of Central Americans in the United States immigrant communities, sanctuaries, all the works that goes with it. Anyhow, President Biden had some happy news. President Joe Biden was happy with the better than expected inflation numbers. Inflation rose slightly, but year over year, it is 7.1%, still high, even with just a 0.1% month-to-month rise, which, looking forward, should be annualized not to 7.1%, but to 1.2%. So yesterday, the headline number should have been the inflation rate is at 1.2% annualized effective last month. Anyhow, let's see what else we have to talk about. Yes, inflation is down. Inflation is down. Inflation is down. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. And it should be down. And if we get rid of the corporate greed, it would be down further. 
don't forget that we have to get the we have to get what we're talking about down right. Anyhow, folks, it seems like we have El Señor Barry on the line. Uh, Barry, how are you doing today? Are you sure you want to take this call? <laughs> you know I want to take it. <laughs> Four questions for you. I need yes and no answers rather than bleeding hard or rambling. Yes, yes. At least nowhere. Sure. Uh, is there a material difference between legal immigration, going through the steps, paying the money, standing in line, and illegal immigration? Yes, into the there is a distinction. Okay. Yes, sir. Between, okay. Does America have the right to control its borders? Yes, sir. Okay. Which country has the toughest immigration laws? Not America. Mexico. Okay. Mexico I, 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 I don't have all that, in, and that the complete answer in that, but I, well, I'll, I'll I, give you that. Okay. So if Mexico has the right to send back people from Ecuador and uh, other places, mm-hmm. you're saying America does not? I never said that. Okay. Well, then do you support illegal immigration? Um, that's not a wait straight a minute, Wait yes. a minute. Wait a minute. It was, a, it was a yes or no question, remember? Okay. If I support you illegal- support illegal immigration? Tacitly, no. Well, hold on. Is yes or no? I just told and you, I no. Think, I, I, don't support, I, saying, okay. I don't support then, illegal immigration, no. Then, then- I, I, I tacitly do not support bank robbery. You don't support what? Bank I tacitly robbery? do not support oh, bank okay. robbery. Uh, all right. And now that we've, I've answered you with the yes or no, can I comment? Wait, wait, no, 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 let me finish the dead one. But okay. if the bank robbers get, get away with the money, they should yeah. be able to keep it. So if the illegal aliens that you tacitly don't support right. get over to America, they should be able to stay? Uh... Yes. Let me go again. Yes or no? Yes. Huh? Yes. Then you do support. Then you do support. No. Let me again. No, like I said, the difference. Let me tell you the difference between a, a conservative like you and somebody uh-huh, who believes in progress. <laughs> no, no. Let's go. Now, I listen to you. Now you listen to me, my dear brother. So hold up a second. Okay. Let me give an explanation. I'm not your dear brother, but go ahead. Oh, no, no. You want me to tell you something, Barry? Barry. Okay, go ahead. Barry, before, you are my brother. Okay? You are. Hi. And not only are you my brother, you're a human being. And because, uh, hold on, stop it. I'm talking. And uh, so I, uh, my humanity tells me (laughs) that I will always treat you as a human being. Now, here is a mistake that you've just made in the analysis, in in the questionnaire that you did. It sounded, it sounds great. And that is the type of stuff conservatives talk about. But here, there's a difference between capital and humans. Here's your question. You said if a bank robber, right, stole from a bank and had the cash, should they be able to hold on to that cash? No, that's capital. Now, if uh, if if an undocumented worker illegal made, immigrant, no, not not, not women, not undocumented, illegal. I don't, I don't care what you want to call it. No, I call they're it, illegal. I, I will call it the undocumented. Well, you they can are choose, illegal. You can choose to do that, sir. Violation of American immigration law, sir. Let's, the communication, the way we communicate is: you talk, I listen. I talk, we you stick listen. We stick to the facts too, and the facts are they're illegal. You, you, when you'll get a chance to refute me after I'm done speaking, like I will refute you after you're done speaking. <laughs> so let's get started. Go ahead, sir. All right. The way it goes is as follows, my dear brother. Um, I believe in humanity. All right. Number two, if somebody goes through the rigament to get over here, I'm going to try. I believe in in legal immigration, but I'm going to try to keep my borders and my policies in such a manner to curtail people coming over here without being sanctioned legally. Legally. Now, here's here's a kicker, though. If somebody makes it over here. Okay. I will be damned 
and, and they are a productive citizen, I will be damned if I go out of the way to deport these people. And let me tell you why. Our history dictates after, the, after what we have done without having papers to come into America, I don't think it is, any, it is anywhere fair, number one. And number two, I don't think it is even moral for us to say if somebody is got over here, however they got Illegally. over here. Illegally. You call it as you may. If they got over here and they're living a productive life, right? I'll be damned if I try to get them over. When we had people who came over here, committed genocide to keep the land, and then somehow say we have to somehow be tougher on those who came over here just to work. The operative phrase is productive citizen. Do you support the drug cartels? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. human traffickers? Absolutely not. Well. Do you support the fentanyl coming across the border killing Americans? Absolutely not. Okay, then you do not support illegal immigration because that's what a lot of them are doing. But, brother, again, like I said, you know, you want, we always, sir, must be nuanced. That's why we're human beings and that's why we have a brain because we can be nuanced in the way we solve problems. So and we can I, also be for real, too. And I'm being very for real. And I mean it You're when not. I tell you if I find, if, if somebody is here, undocumented and they're living a productive life i will be damned if i send them back to wherever they're from they're part of the drug cartel would you send them back yes sir of course i'll I'll okay if they're part of human trafficking would you send them back yes i would if they're forcing 14 year old girls into prostitution would you send them back yes i would well then you send 95 percent of them back then that's not true (laughs) at all and that is where you err sir that is where you err and you know you know better than that. So, but, 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 you know, you know, but you know what? I, what I, so what I, you made some progress. Let me, there, let me tell you, Barry, you a, Barry, you Barry. You made some progress because you used to be a total bleeding heart liberal. But no, now you're just, I am, I am, no, I'm, I'm actually left of a bleeding heart liberal, <laughs> sir. But let me just tell you one thing, sir. I, I tell you what, 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 what okay. I'm happy that you did because you gave me the opportunity to expand on the, the issue of undocumented folks and what my what I think our beliefs should be. Illegal aliens. It, does, it doesn't matter, Barry, that it you say it that matter. way, right? Facts matter. Wait a minute, you saying facts don't matter? Facts absolutely matter, sir. Facts. But anyway. Do facts care, do facts care about your feelings? <laughs> Look, I, no, do they? Barry, yes. Barry, do let me just tell you. Barry, 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 remember, one at a time. That's but anyway, anything else you want to low. add? Do you want to add anything else before I go to the other caller, brother Barry? Yes, we need Mr. Mr. Biden put up this wall. <laughs> all right barry look it's a great talking to you my brother and you keep calling and you keep keeping us okay man you be cool all right dave come on in dave you're on did we lose dave uh dave give us a call back i think we we probably lost you so give us a call back and uh, we'll be right with you but anyway i was speaking before barry called about uh the good inflation news because people said, well, still inflation is high at 7.1%. And when they said at 7.1%, that wasn't my question. My question was, what was the delta in inflation between month of September, or rather month of October and month of November? And that was an inflation rate of 0.1%. Annualized, it is 1.2%. In my humble opinion, the mistake the Fed's always make while they th- why they throw us into recessions with these 
increases in interest rates is that they look at it, they look at the past annualization instead of the future annualization. The thugs in the thugs in ties, executives and corporations have already taken their chunk, their chunk of meat out of Americans when they had these last price increases that were based mostly more than 50% of these price increases were solely based on corporate profit. They got their chunk. They are scared to go much higher right now because of what can come call demand destruction, among other things. And that's why they haven't been, hey, Dave, we lost you. You can give us a call back at 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. Hit extension 2 to get online. Uh, hit extension 2 to get online. So uh, let me repeat because I want folks to understand this. The last tick of inflation was 0.1%. Annualized 0.1% is roughly a 1.2% inflation. It's a bit higher than that because you know it's compounded, right? But so it annualized it is would be 1.2%. Yesterday the headline number was 7.1% because they backstroked it into what things cost 12 months ago from today. Yes, that is 7.1% from the past, but it's at an inflation rate increasing at 1.2%, which meets the federal standard of under 2% inflation. I mean, you cannot get from uh, last year with an, for there to have been a drop to, let's say, 3% or something like that, we would have had to go into a negative inflation rate between months for that not to have been annualized. It is basic math that it irks me that when I listen to the news, they don't tell you. When you saw that 7.1% inf inflation rate, you're like, oh my God, things are still going up. No, a 0.1% increase in the aggregate is a 1.2% increase annualized going forward. And I wish they would tell you these things when they're preaching about inflation, et cetera, et cetera. Anyhow, folks, again, give us a call, 713-526-5738. Again, that number is 713-526-5738. Hit extension 2 if you'd like to speak. The second, uh, the, so with inflation, I'm done with that one. Now, the third item was... Medicare Advantage again. And what we had is a report out of uh, Common Dreams. And the title says, As scandals mount, so do calls to abolish private Medicare Advantage plans. And I want to read the, four, the, the top four paragraphs of that article because I think it's prescient. Uh, it goes as follows. As yet another scandal involving Medicare Advantage made headlines this week, progressive U.S. lawmakers and advocates renewed calls to abolish the private health insurance program with a recent Senate report said is running amok with fraudsters and scam artists. Let me interpret that paragraph. Every time you watch TV, you hear Get Medicare Advantage. Get Medicare Advantage. It's great for you. We give you ears, nose, throat, everything we give you. We even give you a lunch and a, and, a, and, a, and a membership to a gym. And everybody says, wow, it's so much better than Medicare until you read the fine prints. Folks, read the fine prints and stick with Medicare. 
not Medicare Advantage because by the time you're in there, you have, you have already harmed yourself with the possibility later on of getting original Medicare when that plan is no longer what you want or whether you need to get Medigap because you want to go back to Medicare. You won't be able then to afford it. I am telling you, the fraud within Medicare Advantage, the lies that they tell you, is uh, it, it, it goes through the roof. But continue with the article. In a New Nation article written with health insurance reform advocate Wendell Potter, Representative Ro Khanna and Mark Pocan contend that one of the most confusing things facing elders while choosing their Medicare plans is a scheme by private insurance companies to prey on seniors and profit off of the Medicare brand, all in the name of padding their corporate profits and shareholder returns. Again, again, think about that. It's not Medicare. Medicare Advantage is not Medicare. It's paid for with Medicare dollars at an inflated price, but it is not Medicare. It does not have the safeguards of Medicare, no matter what they tell you. The scheme is called Medicare Advantage. I'm reading the article again. The scheme is called Medicare Advantage, but in reality, so-called Medicare Advantage is neither Medicare nor an advantage, wrote the lawmakers, who earlier this year introduced legislation that, if passed, would ban private insurance plans from using the Medicare name. It's actually just private insurance that uses the trusted Medicare name to trick seniors and people with disabilities into enrolling, then profits by denying coverage for necessary medical care. Kana and Pokan added, it's a long past time for Congress to end this scam and ensure that consumers get accurate information about their health care options. And if you learned the options, I've, been, uh, I've written many articles about it, and so has uh, Tom Hartman had written a book about it, something that we should all read. But please go to, to uh, egbertowillies.com and do a search on Medicare Advantage for the different articles we've written on it. It's important that... Those that people who are about to get on do not get conned into saying, oh, it sounds so much better than Medicare. You know, uh, nothing in this world is given for free, especially when it comes from corporations. In fact, corporations only give you something they can profit from. They only give you something they can profit from. In other words, they give you nothing. I don't have anything against profits. I have nothing against corporations. But when it comes to your health care, when it comes to your, to your well-being, when it comes to things that you must have to survive, I do not believe in leaving that in the hands of corporations whose basic responsibility is profit. And again, that goes for anything that I do. I've had corporations before. I have a LLC right now. And I don't want to control anybody's life. And that is what Medicare Advantage is doing. They sucker you into going to Medicare Advantage. And, and by the way, because a friend of mine told me how good your plan was, and, and he was right. 
If you don't have any illnesses, if you are basically healthy, if you don't have any major problems, Medicare Advantage is great. It's cheaper than it's generally cheaper than Medicare. But if you happen to get, and which people at older ages get some critical disease, and we all will get them in our old age, you are likely to be ping pong among the the least the least form of getting. Healthcare, because again, you are not the product, or rather, you are simply the widget to make somebody a buck, to make somebody a dollar. And at the earliest we understand that, all the pretty things that they try to con us about the free lunch, the free dinner, the free meal, the free whatever at that point, that's how they intend to hook you. And if you allow that to happen, in the long run, you will pay the price. And all I'm asking, all of our listeners right here, if you already have Medicare Advantage and you're still healthy, uh, I can't give you advice. I'm not an insurance salesperson to give advice, but I can tell you what I would do, what I would do if I had happened to sign up for Medicare Advantage is get to hell off as soon as I could. Now, there's one last caveat. There are some people who just can't afford it because of the great deal that Medicare Advantage is given. And of course, it's being paid for by Medicare. At that point, you should be working with all of us who have been working for decades to ensure that we have, instead of having to have Medicare and Medicare Advantage and all of these things, to have health care for all. In other words, our entire medical system needs a complete moral review. Not a review. We already know what the solutions are. We need to change our entire healthcare system, to one that believes in humanity, to one that believes in life, to one that believes in not taking your home, not making you destitute because you've gotten an illness. That is where we are headed. That is where we should be heading for. So those who, there are some people who just won't be able to go back. And I understand it. And you should be out there however you can working with us, working with those activists out there that are trying to make a system that supports us all, trying to make a system that works for us all, that gives us all health care. I probably, uh, we don't have any more time for calls right now, uh, but let me just tell you that um, one of the things that we are working on here at KPFT is to make sure that we bring you programs that uh, are not a zero-sum gain. I'm talking about our talk shows specifically now. We have great, great music shows like you've had with Rourke, who just left here. Love listening to Rourke. But what we try to do is every time you listen to one of these shows, every time you've listened to Politics Done Right, I want to make sure that you live, first of all, with a positive feeling that you can actually go out there and do something that is necessary to make all our lives better. Your life better, my life better, my daughter's life better, my wife's life's better, Stuart's life's better, Rico's life better, everybody's lives better. That's our goal here. 
So again, the three topics we covered today was immigration, uh, the interest rates, as well as Medicare Advantage. And I hope out of all three of those subjects, you realize that this is a, this is vast, a vast amount of material that we will be covering over and over again in different flavors to ensure that we have maximal penetration of truth. Again, maximal penetration of truth. Because right now with the, the type of media that we have out there, uh, like I explained, even the way inflation was explained as, it's at 7.1%. They don't say that's year over year and that it's at 1.2% month over month, right? You don't hear that. Annualize at 1.2%. You don't hear that. So what we have a system, what our system do to us, including our, our, our media, the media that we have out there, is constantly, constantly, they keep us ill-informed or misinformed, many times disinformed. And the difference between disinformation and misinformation, misinformation is a bit less. Disinformation means we purposely lie to you, have you do something completely off-keel. Misinformation is just a little, a little less a little less intrusive, if you will. So we're coming close to the end of the program. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to keep us on your mind. Don't forget to go to kpft.org, support this program and many others, 713-526-5738. Hit the number one if you want to contribute. Uh, and again, kpft.org, kpft.org to support us or to listen to us online if you are somewhere else. So it is important for us to go. I got 10 more seconds. So my name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.